Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Adam Scott's my first guest this week. He played the calzone-obsessed accountant-turned-political consultant Ben Wyatt on Parks and Recreation. On Party Down, he played the failed actor-turned-cater-waiter Henry. On Big Little Lies, he played Ed McKenzie. And in Step Brothers, the ridiculously evil brother Derek. And if you're one of the many people watching the sci-fi dramedy Severance, you also know him as that show's protagonist, Mark. It's a great show. Adam's great in it. Here's the premise if you haven't seen it. Severance is set mostly at a company called Lumen Industries, in a department where many of the workers have undergone a procedure called severance. Once they've entered Lumen, workers have no memory of their lives outside the office. And when they leave for the day, they don't remember anything about what happened on the inside. I know what you're thinking. What could possibly go wrong? When the show starts, Adam's character, Mark, has been working at Lumen for some time. In fact, he just got a promotion. In this scene, he's training his first ever new recruit, Helly R. Helly is, as you might imagine, a little disoriented. So I'll never leave here. You'll leave at 5. Well, actually, they stagger our exit, so 5.15. But it won't feel like it, not to this version of you, anyway. Do I have a family? You'll never know. And I have no choice. Well, every time you find yourself here, it's because you chose to come back. Adam Scott, welcome back to Bullseye. It's nice to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Good to see you, too. It's been, how's the last decade been for you? <laughs> it's been terrific. It's really gone by fast. It feels like we were just here together. <laughs> Congratulations on Severance. It's a really great show. Thanks, man. You know, you started your career with plenty of straight drama, but you have spent the last five or 10 years doing a lot of comedy. Serial mm-hmm. comic things, certainly, but a lot of comedy. Were you concerned at all at how not funny this part is and it's not to say it's it's entirely not funny there's funny things yeah, in the yeah. show but how deeply non-jokely you would have to play everything you know i i was kind of after parks and rec ended i was consciously seeking out something a little different and maybe less in the comedy space i just wanted to try it again because that's what I always sort of thought of myself as like a dramatic actor is kind of what I always envisioned myself as when I was a little kid is that I would be like Harrison Ford or Robert De Niro or something like those were my guys you know and but on the side I was also deep into Monty Python and Saturday Night Live and stuff it's just for me I thought I was gonna be like that's that was the direction I always saw for myself but then you know, and and I did, you know, mostly do like guest spots on hour-long dramas. And I did a lot of background work when I started out on all kinds of things. But then I I kind of did that. And then I did this really s- dramatic HBO show. And it just, you know, I could never find 
footing until, or, or, or really, um, nothing really stuck career-wise for me. I wasn't getting um, the momentum that I was looking for. Now, looking back on it, I, I wasn't getting that at the time, you know, in order to keep yourself afloat and entertainment, I think you always have to be convincing yourself that everything's going great. But now looking back, I was a little bit, you know, I was hopping lily pad to lily pad job wise and, and just sort of trying to paste something together. And it wasn't until I found comedy that something started to coalesce career wise and something really started coming together. And it was Step Brothers. It was just a fluke. I got that role. Uh, what? Dale, don't interrupt the man when he's telling a story. No, 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 no. it's fine, Robert. Um, I was asking about the story. What's this guy's deal? I don't know, son. It's okay. God, I'm sorry. Now I forget where my story was going. Ah, damn it, Dale. Listen, gang, don't be mad at Dale for ruining the story and possibly the evening. It's it's totally fine. I have a lot more stories. Derek, that you do. Yeah. (laughs) That you do. Guilty as charged (laughs) with the story. That sort of kicked in this different direction for me in like 07 is when that happened. So then part when Parks ended, I I was looking to do maybe something a little more serious just to kind of get back to it a little bit. And it wasn't easy to to do that because, you know, by that point, you know, I think I was thought of, if anything, as more of a comedic actor. Yeah, you uh, were adorkable. Adorkable. There you go. Thank you. That's what that's the word that's always on the tip of my tongue. Mm-hmm. Very able to, mm-hmm. Um and uh, and so I auditioned for Big Little Lies and got that role and and it was uh, it was a really Jean Marc Vallée directed the first season of that and that was a great way to kind of get back into more dramatic stuff because he's really intense incredible director sadly passed away just recently it was awful but what a terrific I mean just a brilliant director and lovely person anyway. That was sort of a foray back into more uh, more dramatic stuff. And then, yeah, Severance was that, plus it was sort of a role that, that I'd always wanted to play. It was like when I read it, I thought, if I'm able to actually land this, at least for me, it's going to be what I've been earning all of this time. <laughs> this 20-some-odd years in this town is getting to the point where I get to actually play a role like this. Watching uh, Severance, you know, it has a really intense aesthetic and tone that is, you know, by design kind of sad and alienating. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but think about you performing on this show when COVID was new and, you know, you were away from home. Mm -hmm. Like the idea that you would leave this intense, alienating world. I mean, I'm sure you (laughs) had, you know, donuts in between takes and everything, Mm -hmm. but like uh, even just looking at the walls must have been a little intense and then come home. And instead of like coming home to your family, come home to not being able to leave a, an apartment or a hotel room or something. Yeah, that was a, a a big part of it was the sort of strangeness of the world around us and the 
atmosphere we brought in with us. Uh, it was we started shooting the day after the presidential election in 2020, and so we were right smack in the middle of pre-vaccine pandemic uh, in New York, and my family's in LA, and so yeah, I was by myself. I was either by myself in an apartment in a van on the way to the Bronx where we <laughs> shot the show or on the set, which as you, you said, is a vast <laughs> kind of alienating atmosphere of its own. And then between, you know, the, the crew all have masks on and between takes, we have to get our masks and our shields back on and either sit there or go to a dressing room where you have to you know, close the door and then you can take your mask. So you're either by yourself or on camera with the other actors. Other than that, you you are all suited up with stuff all over your face. Just six months before I left for New York, my mom had passed away right before lockdown started. So it was this sort of intense time for my family and for me, she she passed away and we immediately went into lockdown. So the blow of that happening was really cushioned by my family. You know, like everyone, we went through lockdown together and had family dinners and movie nights and tried to just keep ourselves as busy as possible. And, and, and all the positive things that went with that, all the time you get to actually spend with with your family, with two kids and my my wife, all that stuff was great. But once I landed in New York and like closed the door to that apartment, I was like, oh, okay, I haven't really figured this out yet. I realized in that moment that I hadn't properly grieved yet. I had all this love in my life at home that really helped cushion the blow, like I said. And I guess was the time I was going to have to really confront these feelings. And, and so, yeah, I was in the apartment or on set and that's where I ended up doing uh, a lot of my grieving and confronting that grief and, and how to sort of move on and carry on. Did you get to have a funeral for your mom? We did just this past uh, December, uh, finally, you know, we, we had a few false starts, you know, a lot of her friends and, and, and a lot of members of our family are older. And so we, we wanted to make sure it was safe in this past December. It was right before Omicron really landed. And to, I think if we did it a week later, we would have had to cancel. So we did it right at the, the right time. And um, as far as I know, we didn't have any infections or anything spread at the, at the gathering. It was outside. It was great. And it was great to finally do it a year and a half little more than a year and a half after she she passed away getting to to finally do that I think a lot of people are are going through that trying to figure out when to uh, when to have that that moment where you can all come together I think it's I think it's really important it ended up being incredibly important for all of us yeah I I lost a very beloved aunt right before the pandemic and yeah. what you know her service was supposed to be like the week of lockdown, the week after yeah. or something like that. And, you know, we postponed it and it was like, it was a big thing. She had like asked me to pick all the music for her. Oh, and, sorry. you know, we just never, we just never did it. Yeah. And 
it doesn't occur to you how important it is yeah or for that matter how hard it is to to get back up that head of steam yeah (laughs) to like the goal of that funeral in a way is to you know have an anchor for engaging with the fact that you lost someone like that's right and to yeah like you said have an anchor but it's also to have an anchor together that you can all grab onto and pay tribute together and i i think it's never too late i found doing it a year and a half later ended up being this sort of mixed blessing in that here we are a year and a half later and we're able to all pay tribute to this great person whereas if we did it two weeks after she had passed here we are a year and a half later, we would have all, it, it just kind of elongated her time here in a way, which is sounds a little silly and I, I'm not maybe properly articulating it, but there was something kind of great about it where we, we were tipping our hat. Kind of, you, you realize for those uh, dearly departed in our lives, maybe it's something you should do every year is get together and talk about how great this person is and how much you you miss them because we all have these busy lives and you, you know. So how did it feel to be in that hotel room or, you know, furnished apartment yeah. that somebody rented for you yeah. and like just your connection to the outside world is, you know, video conferences and food deliveries and a, a guy who comes with a van to take you to set every day. It was weird and it was, you know, and, and we, you know, like any set in those times, we had a few different shutdowns and I got COVID in February of 21 before vaccines and I got hit pretty hard with it and had to stay in the apartment for <laughs> two weeks or whatever. But we also had some scares on set, so you'd have to lock down and had to scrap plans for my family to come out for Thanksgiving and so there were a couple three month chunks where I didn't see them in person and that was that was hard. But I think I had it a lot easier than a lot of people did during that time, obviously. And it it all kind of felt uh, of one with with the show. It, looking back, it was weirdly appropriate for what we were shooting. It must have been weird too that like, you know, here you are in show business where you, I mean, this is always true as an actor, but it was certainly true over the last couple of years that like you're working and thank goodness, you know, there's plenty of people who weren't working, especially people who had to do show business things that weren't happening, but like you're working in the most weird, awkward and difficult circumstances, you know, for an actor that's shooting on set anyway, that you could possibly be. And you must've just been there like, well, here I am in my dream part. Yeah. And it means that I have to sit alone in this apartment, not see my family for months at a time. Yep. And like live with the death of my mother and these creepy blank walls. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I kind of kept in mind all along is that this is literally what I've always wanted. It's the kind of show I would run to as an audience member. It's exactly the kind of thing I've loved watching since I was a, a kid. It's uh, 
and and I love doing it. It's it was so fun. Once we were there on set, it was so exciting and fun. And Ben is the best person to work with because I, you know, from the time I first w- I went straight there from the airport just because I wanted to see these sets in person that Ben had just been texting me photos of for months. And I w- walking in there and seeing these incredible, beautiful sets that our production designer Jeremy had designed. I kind of right then and there realized like I'm just going to surrender because I've I've always I always have this sort of third eye on my performances that's you know depending on on the director I always kind of try and keep track of what I'm doing and try and self edit or keep track of what I've done and what I want to do, just kind of take-wise, like what did I do three takes ago, what did I do, try and cover the board and make sure I'm running the gamut here. Or holding back and not doing this if if I'm worried the director will use something that I think wouldn't work, trying to resist. There's all sorts of things that you can kind of keep track of in your head that ultimately can injure your performance, particularly if you're somewhat self-conscious or trying to keep an eye on your performance. And once I walked onto that set and saw how how grand and meticulous this all was going to need to be in order to to work, and the shots they had in mind, uh, Jessica Ligonier, the the cinematographer, is, is really brilliant. I just decided then and there that like there's no one I trust more than Ben and his taste and his work. So I'm just going to get rid of that third eye or that what 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 whatever you want to call it and just trust him completely and just dive in uh head first and not look back. And I'm I'm so glad I did because he's uh he's someone you you can trust and um and it was a completely different experience just focusing one hundred percent on the task at hand and not trying to self-edit or keep a director's eye on myself and just focusing on on one scene at a time chipping away at the the big mountain in front of us we'll talk more with adam scott after the break it's bullseye for maximumfun.org and npr Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with actor Adam Scott. You've seen him on Parks and Recreation, Big Little Lies, Party Down. He just wrapped up the first season of Severance, the brand new show on Apple TV+. It is a brilliant, dark, sort of science fiction show. It's set in a workplace where many employees have had their memories surgically divided between work and home. My guest Adam Scott plays Mark. He's the protagonist of the show. You can stream Severance now on Apple TV+. Let's get back into our conversation. I watched a clip of you on uh, the television program Boy Meets World. Yep. And uh, I don't know how old you were in this, maybe 23 or something. Mm -hmm. And the hair on your... You looked so pretty. Did I have a lot of hair? uh, A lot of hair action? You still have a lot of hair action at all times. You, you, reams. Were, you're, you were like, uh, your character was like in the high school and like, uh, in the fact, cool, cool guy. Yeah. Well, cool guy, but like the one that I was like, gangster guy. 
he was it was a gangster plot where you were running some kind of extortion ring. Oh yeah, sure. And in fact, I'm going to play because I'm talking about it, I'm going to play a clip from it. Oh boy. Your character's name was Griff and uh, was was a cool guy bully type. And in this episode, uh, you and another character named Frankie have gotten some contraband. We'll hear about the contraband uh, for the cocaine. Matthews. Were we dealing cocaine at the school on Boy Meets World? No, oh. mushrooms. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. That, no, that makes sense. Come on, sorry. You wouldn't. Your character wouldn't. No, do no, that. no, no, Not no, on no, network no. television. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was all shrooms and crank. <laughs> let's take a listen. Uh, let's take a listen. Matthews, you looking like college material? Yeah, here's some money. Let's see it. Can I pat him down? Maybe later, Frankie. <laughs> okay. Believe you'll find it flawless. Uh, Feeney Stationery. And white as snow, ready for any college recommendation you care to write yourself. Now can I pat him down? <laughs> Frankie, I'm doing business here. Fine. <laughs> You can see why people were laughing so much. Those are really good jokes. gags are good. Yeah, yeah. There was a good joke at the end of that scene. I don't remember what it was, but I remember thinking, well, that's a good joke. Good job, Boy Meets World. couple of things. Frankie there is played by Ethan Suplee, the great Ethan Suplee. And Frankie now is the name of my daughter. I wonder if that's where that came from. I think? have a child named Frankie. Oh, you do? And yeah, named after that character from the show. Is she, that's, that's, if I had a penny for every person who named their child after Ethan Suplee's character in mm-hmm. Boy Meets World. Sure. Anyway, as I was watching that, I was thinking, maybe the reason that Adam Scott uh, worked at poverty levels for the first 10 years of his career was because he had to age from a nine and a half to an eight and a half uh, because he was too pretty to be funny at the beginning. <laughs> You had to get into comedy handsome territory. Interesting. That was my theory. Before well, that's certainly you could a, fly. Certainly a flattering theory. Yeah, well, you're a lot more handsome than I am. I, I think that that's not true. I think that I, I, I remember Griffin, because it was Griff Hawkins was the name of the character. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's because Ethan Hawke was such a big deal because it was right around what reality bites. That's why where Hawkins comes from. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it was more due to me being terrible at auditioning and super nervous on on sets, which is why it took me many many years to uh, to get any traction whatsoever. Can I play a clip of you in Star Trek: First Contact? Yeah, sure. Did you like get a call from your agent that said do you want to audition for Star Trek First Contact? Yes, and I did audition for Star Trek First Contact, a much larger role. And I forget what role it was in that movie, but Picard. I it was it was for Jean-Luc Picard. I didn't get it, so they offered me this which was like I I remember being done before noon one day and Jonathan Frakes was directing who was just a lovely really fun guy and i didn't understand anything that i was saying or doing uh but it was it was uh what it is well in this scene Worf, the klingon uh who's friends with jean-luc picard he's the captain of a ship called the uss defiant spaceship yep and uh you're on the bridge there with him and they're they're fighting the borgs right 
Report! Main power's offline. We've lost shields. Our weapons are gone. Perhaps today is a good day to die. Prepare for running speed! Sir, there's another starship coming in. It's the Enterprise. I feel like this is why, to me, if I was an actor, this would be like my, like, this is why I became an actor moment. And it's not because I love Star Trek. I'm fine with Star Trek, but I'm not a big Star Trek person. But like, it's just would be so fun to be like, the shields are at four. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And people are like, right off camera, like shaking the set and there's smoke and stuff falling. And I had like a cut on my forehead or something. It was pretty cool. And all this like fake sweat on me. I don't, I never understood though. Are we fighting the Enterprise? We wouldn't be, right? No, the Enterprise is coming to help you. To save us. I haven't seen Star Trek First Contact. You never saw If this was about Star Trek for the voyage home, I could give you an exegesis here, but. That's the one uh, William Shatner directed. Uh, I I believe, no, I believe that uh, Leonard Nimoy directed it. Leonard Nimoy directed Search for Spock. I think Voyage Home was the Jesus-y one. That no, that's William Shatner. five or six. Oh, it is? Okay. Voyage Home is the one with the whales. It's the, oh, it is. It's that's the San Francisco right. That was a one. huge hit. Yeah. I remember that being a big... That was Yeah, that was right in the middle of like, let's save the whales, let's do this. And it, and it was like right on brand, mid-80s. Sulu goes, San Francisco, I was born here. He does? <laughs> yeah. I... I tingles up and down uh, my this san francisco native spine at age seven watching that santa cruz right yeah. here so. what a dream i i've got to see you're that like the again. monterey bay aquarium oh <laughs> i live in the monterey bay area my my dad uh is a biology a marine biologist in santa cruz so we got we got to go to the monterey bay aquarium before it opened and like walk around and check it out it was a big deal hold hands with an otter yeah, you can't touch the otters. You can't touch it, even if your dad is a marine biologist. No, 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 no. You can contaminate their their uh, environment. You can't do that. Did you know they have favorite rocks? Really, otters? Yeah, otters have favorite rocks to use to open up their uh, clams oh. that they eat, like ones they carry with them for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty adorable. I don't know about years. I don't want to get letters from oh, marine no. biologists like your dad. <laughs> your dad's I'll listening. get a call immediately after listening to this interview. <laughs> listening right now on KUSP. That's right. KUSP. Writing an angry letter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all, I, all I want to do, Adam, and Just this is what fun? happened 10 years ago, and I have a feeling I'm not the only one. All I want to do with you on the show is just talk about Santa Cruz stuff. But I am going to ask you, because you grew up in Santa Cruz, California, um, south of San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, I have great fondness for Santa Cruz, where I went to college. Oh, you went and to where UCSC. I started this program. Cool. And uh, moderately. And uh, <laughs> But I did hear that you worked at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. Yeah. Uh, what was your job at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk? I worked at Marini's, which is the candy store that's been there since, I don't know, the 1940s, I guess. Is it the one that has the taffy pulling machine in the front window? I was a, what they call a candy boy. I was there (laughs) and my- I'm sorry, who's they here? (laughs) You know, the collective- Passers by. No, the 
Marini's city council. Uh, illiterati <laughs> called them the candy boys. And that's what you sort of aspire to be if you're male and you start working at Marini's in 1986 or whenever I started working there. And I, so I had to work my way up to candy boy. I started washing dishes. And then I, I think I started working there when I was like 12 or 13 and worked there till I was like 16. And I did. I made taffy from scratch, just like 50 pounds of sugar and corn syrup and then whatever flavoring. And I couldn't eat or smell artificial watermelon uh, flavoring, like watermelon candy or gum. I could, after working there, I couldn't come near it for years. You had, look, the literature about Adam Scott's youth in Santa Cruz is limited. <laughs> However, I identified two top categories of uh, Santa Cruz teen mm -hmm. in that literature. Mm -hmm. One was that you had a Grateful Dead period. Mm -hmm. And one was that it, I want to say it was water polo, that you played water polo. Is that the sport? Sure. So these are the two... These are two of the Santa Cruziest activities sure. you could have. You have a full, full-on broed-out water sport, mm -hmm. and then you have uh, full-on broed-out, yeah, music whatever, obsession. Yeah, wearing whatever the where the predecessor to polar fleece is in both contexts. <laughs> That's right. You can you can bring your polar fleece to either activity. <laughs> yeah. It works equally well. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I believe there was quite a bit of, uh, of overlap there. I, I was able to, uh, to keep both of those balls in the air, so to speak. I was a, a deadhead by day and water polo player by other day. Yeah, mid-afternoon. Um, mid-afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I, I was never a very good water polo player. It's really hard. It's really brutal. But to this day, I can, if you put me in a pool, I can paddle with my arms up out of the water uh, for as long as you need me to, because I know the kind of egg beater trick that they use in water polo. That's about all I, I uh, took away from it. We did a lot of timeline processing uh, when you came into the studio, trying to figure out how long ago it was that you had last been on this show. And we were pretty sure that it was to promote Party Down, mm -hmm. a show that uh, ran a few years on Stars many years ago. And mm -hmm and was critically acclaimed to the extent it was critically noticed. Mm -hmm. um, and we were discussing what a great source of guests it was for this show, yeah. uh, simply because I don't think anyone else was calling Stars. Uh -huh. No one else had found the phone number. So thank you to Stars in 2010 or whenever that was. Sure. But uh, Adam, you recently filmed a new season of the show alongside almost all of the cast. Mm-hmm. Where did that fit into your pandemic timeline? Like, when did you fly away to visit 10 years previous? <laughs> Wait, what? Like, when in the last couple of years did you go and shoot this thing? And what was it like to go like... Oh, like time machine back to... Yes. Yeah, it really was time machine-like for all of us. It was really weird and terrific. We did it. January through March this past uh, year, right in the heart of Omicron. So it was tough. Uh, we had some starts and stops and almost had to uh, stop altogether because there were some positive cases here and there. And, and it was just becoming so expensive to start and stop again. And, you know, Party Down's not like this giant show. So 
luckily we were able to uh to finish and and it's it's uh it was so much fun and, and the cast is is all there pretty much and we Jennifer Garner is is a uh is a cast member this season Tyrell Jackson Williams and Zoe Chow are also on board it's uh it's a really great season I can't wait for for people to see it did the lot of you have to like have a big meeting to decide to do this because there's a lot of it's a big cast yeah uh, Lizzie Kaplan is the only main person who didn't return she's got a lot of other TV commitments yeah those contracts can be restrictive yep but like you know Jane Lynch doesn't need this job yeah <laughs> she was on the biggest sitcom in America for five years yeah uh, she's made in the shade. Yeah, it was really uh, difficult to find a time when everyone could do it. That's why when Lizzie wasn't available, we ended up uh, going forward because we weren't sure we were going to get who we could ever again because it was just just happened to work for this one six week block. And so, so yeah, it was it was it was hard. This is a very busy group of people, but yeah, we're really lucky we we got everyone for for as long as we did. I think we'd all been wanting to do something over the years. I remember early on, there was almost a movie, like around 2010, 11, something like that. Like pretty soon after the show ended, we we're actually getting in the realm of getting that going. And then it sort of fell apart. And I think in retrospect, that may have been maybe a good thing. I, I just feel like part of the brilliance of that, just the idea of Party Down, that that Rob and Dan and John and and Paul came up with in the first place was the one party per episode uh, conceit. And with a movie, you sort of lose that and you have to build a, you know, three act structure. And are we going to go home with the caterers? And that sort of uh, punctures the, the, the idea of the show where we're just at a party every episode. It's sort of, uh, the show is about a group of, of cater waiters. Sure. That um, uh, kind of down on their luck, uh, Hollywood um, aspirants is that mm-hmm. uh, is that yeah. a medication or is that what, you're what, actually you're yeah. absolutely correct um, and yeah so so we're cater waiters and and you go from party to party with us. So do you act? Why well, look familiar? You do, mm-hmm. and you smoke parliaments. Mm. I dabbled. Are you uh... a professional waiter? I'm not. Um, no, no. I'm a comedian. No. Yeah, I figured that my natural hilariousness would have tipped you off right. by now. Right. Wait a minute. Were you the were you that guy? Yes, I was. You were! You were totally that guy. That is bananas. I remember that. Yeah. I remember you. Yeah. What are you doing working here? Well, you remember me from anything else? So uh, a movie would have kind of altered that. So it's it's great that we ended up just doing an, a, another season of the show. I think it's it, it serves the the show uh, much better than than a movie would have. I have never stopped thinking about this time that Carrie Kenny Silver of the State and many other wonderful things uh, was on the show, and I was talking to her about when she was on the State, which was wonderful. MTV sketch comedy show. And she was like, yeah, while the state was on, there were so many of them. There were like 11 members of the state, I think, or 12. 
and MTV paid so poorly that they all had to have jobs while they were making wow. the show. And she was a cater waiter. Wow. And while the state was on TV, she got a job <laughs> catering a Viacom party. Oh my God. And she like served canapes <laughs> to like the head Her of bosses. MTV and the chairperson of Viacom. And just like, I God, I hope they don't recognize oh me my God. as the star of one of their shows. <laughs> I remember I really needed an acting job really, really bad, and I got an audition for something and drove over and got to the waiting room and hadn't even really focused in on what it was, just kind of worked on the sides and the the, the script pages they had given me. And while in the waiting room, I looked at the title and it was called like Hellfire or something and I or Inferno or something like that. And I realized while I was there that it was, or no, I, I realized before I went to the audition that it was a Hellraiser movie that I would be auditioning for. And so I went there and sat in the waiting room, hoping they wouldn't recognize me from being in a previous Hellraiser movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just hoping they would hire me without putting it together. <laughs> I did not get that job. <laughs> <laughs> there's like that that guy that's in charge of keeping all the star wars stuff straight that's right but for the hellraiser universe there's no like, one so yeah <laughs> i was hoping there wouldn't be anyone maybe there is there's a guy in the room sorry yeah no we, we can't use you, you you're right here in the show bible <laughs> you were jacques in hellraiser bloodline we clearly can't uh <laughs> after a quick break we'll wrap up when we return Will actor Adam Scott let me hold hands with an otter at the Monterey Bay Aquarium? He should. I'll tell him why. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, just celebrated its 15th anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we forgot. Uh, yeah, completely. Our, our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Our show's not one of them. We're never changing and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Adam Scott. He's the star of Severance, Parks and Recreation, and Party Down. Let's get back into our conversation. Are we going to get back to you playing uh, pinch-faced jerks? Because that's one of my favorite Adam Scott lanes. This was more an early career lane. Uh -huh. Step Brothers, I think, enabled it. Uh -huh. I would say probably Torque is, uh -huh. its, is its top, which was a kind of... Fast and the Furious homage slash parody. Satire, yeah. <laughs> slash. <laughs> yeah, it really lives in an uncanny valley between satire and celebration. There really is no movie quite like Torque, is there? Torque is really something. And like, it's a motorcycle movie. Yeah. In the spirit of the Fast and the Furious, but a little crazier. 
Yeah. You know, the Fast and the Furious movies have come to really embrace their craziness over the past decade or so, but pretty bonkers. I remember there was a tortoise that's really important, like a tortoise (laughs) eye view shot at one point. I I think the motorcycles go by in the desert the tortoise like watches them go by or something. Yeah, yeah. that sounds right to me. And you're like you're an FBI agent. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. You're great in that movie. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. As much as everybody loves to talk about how great Adam Scott is in Step Brothers, and it's true. Torque, that's the under. You're a torque guy. I'm a torque man all the way. I noticed that my producer pulled a clip from Torque. I did not ask for this, but I'm gonna play it. Uh so there's a big highway chase. Uh, with like a stock car, like a NASCAR car and like a Porsche and all the motorcycles, all the different motorcycles. And like any FBI agent, you don't get access to those vehicles. You drive the classic FBI vehicle, which is a, a Hummer. Of course. You're driving a FBI issued Hummer. This is crazy. We can call backup. You don't like my driving, Henderson. You can get out and hitch. Thank God for airbags. Hey. Oh, goodness gracious. I kind of think, Adam, you got something you can use in the future. You don't like my driving. Freaking get out get and out hitch. hitch. I think if I'm not mistaken, the thank God for airbags was added an ADR because I s- survived that and they wanted to justify me surviving that crash. It wasn't, it didn't come from a punch-up session. That wasn't like something Blaine Capatch or Pat Oswalt suggested. Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> like, he should say, what if he said, thank would, God for airbags? That would be. It might be funny if he just said, thank God for airbags. Yeah. Oh, boy. Where do I get my check? <laughs> just from the woman at the front? or Because <laughs> I did the thank God for airbags thing, so my work here That's is done. That's worth something, isn't it? <laughs> But I do think that uh, antagonist, you've been too sweet for too long. Yeah. Even on Severance, where your character outside of the world of the company is pretty dissolute. Yes. I think just straight up evil is, a return to straight up evil is something you should be ready for. It's super fun. And I don't know where it comes from. I remember Mike Schur really loved it. And so he wrote this character in uh, The Good Place that's just a demon for me to play. And that was super fun too. I think I've just always liked, uh, like I remember, you know, as a kid, Ghostbusters was like my favorite movie for a while. And I just loved William Atherton in that movie. I just thought he was so, such a (laughs) and so awesome. Uh, I don't know. I've just always thought holes are really, really uh, entertaining and 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 funny. You get back to Santa Cruz sometimes. Yeah, uh, try and get up a couple times a year at least. I feel like you got to be one of the top Santa Cruzians at this point. You and Glen Allen Hill Glenn to Allen play Hill. outfield for the Cubs and the Giants. Sure. There, I think there are a few over. The, I think Neil Young used to live in the Santa Cruz Mountains. 
that certainly eclipses me by a mile. Felton, Ben Lomond. Yeah, something. He had, he had a, is a ranch somewhere out there. We'd play at the Catalyst sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Catalyst. That's the dream, right? Get up on that too tall stage. The ca- It is quite tall. I remember seeing Henry Rollins there and it was like Very looking. Very uncomfortable. I remember one night, the, there were the all ages shows we would go to in high school. And one night, uh, Dinosaur Jr. was playing there and Nirvana was opening. And that was the one night I was like, you know what? I'm going to pass. I'm just going <laughs> to stay. So that was my chance. Did you want to get out of Santa Cruz? By the time I was 18, yeah. It's I, so nice. It is. It's beautiful. And now going back, I'm always, I always just never want to leave when we, when we go back. And my daughter loves it too. And it would be great to spend more time up there. Yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a perfect little town. I love it so much. But here you are in show business. I know, in Los Angeles, which I also really, I love Los Angeles. But, and Santa Cruz is, is not that far away, but it's far enough where I can't just go up there every, every, when my mom was sick, I was going up a couple times a week, but, uh, with the family and everything, just, it's, yeah, I think it would be great to, to go up, uh, and, you know, stay for a few weeks at a time, but it's just not practical. I don't know if your dad's still kicking around. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he could get us into the Monterey Bay Aquarium early? I bet he could pull some strings. That'd be awesome. Get us some backstage passes. And- Can I? Just don't touch the otters, Jesse. Otter? Don't touch the otters. They have a little. They got little hands that they use to. Yeah, they have they opposable open their thumbs with rocks. You know, they got favorite rocks. So I'd love yeah, to hold. Yeah, I know. With I've otter. heard about the rocks. Everyone knows yeah. about the rocks. You can't touch them. They're not river otters. No, they're not river. This is a Monterey Bay Aquarium, so they're ocean otters. Oos. The double O's. <laughs> <laughs> the legendary. The legendary double O. <laughs> Adam Scott, I sure am grateful to you for uh, coming back and beyond on Bullseye. It's really nice to see you. Likewise. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Adam Scott, what a joy he is. The entire first season of Severance is streaming right now on Apple TV+. Plus. You can watch it there. There's also a new season of Party Down on the horizon. We ought to see that later this year. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where today at the metal shop across the street from my house, they were banging on something. We had to wait a little while to start recording. I do not know what they were banging on. You know, they're just doing their jobs. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Tabitha Myers. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme music is by The Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation. Thanks to The Go Team for sharing it with us along with their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Find us there, follow us, We'll share with you all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.